If you were with us last week, I talked a little bit about how that, um, uh, I mentioned talking about God's love. We talked about his love. And I mentioned how that I, uh, I enjoy taking walks at night. I love walks at night. Um, Michelle, if she'll go with me, you know, if we can work it out to go together, a walk at night is romantic to me. I just enjoy it. On top of that, I enjoy um, um, walks alone even at night, just to, just to walk and think, meditate, pray. I love to pray at night, walking at night. You can walk around and you're out in public, potentially in a neighborhood somewhere or on the street, but you kind of feel alone, you know? You kind of feel alone when you're, when you're in that space. So anyhow, um, I enjoy the walks. But here's what I've always noticed is I like a clear night. Now, if it's a nighttime, okay, when I say walks at night, I don't mean when it's two degrees outside, okay? Thank God the next three days are warming up, right? But I like a clear night more. Now, if it's cloudy and overcast, that's fine. It's still a beautiful thing to take a walk at night. But I like the clear nights when the stars and the moon are out. But I really love it when the moon is out and the moon is full. I love that. Because it's just so beautiful, isn't it? And, and, and the moon's an amazing thing if you think about it. If you think about how it, the whole galaxy and our solar system works, and unless you're unless you, uh, a flat earth conspiracy person, you understand the science of our global system here. What's amazing is that um, we, our planet revolves around that central, of our solar system, that central star, the sun, the burning sun. It revolves around that thing once a year. And that's how we measure a year is one trip around the sun, Right? But as we revolve around the sun over the course of what we call a year, our planet is constantly turning, and we call each rotation of, our, of, our, of Earth a day, right? And so for part of the day, we're facing the, the sun is in, we're facing the direction of the sun, and so the sun is in our purview as we turn, and you know, it crosses our horizon. And when the sun is facing us, it gives light, and uh, very bright light. And you don't look at it, you'll get, you'll get sick, you'll sneeze and your eyes will burn. Um, but um, then as the planet rotates to what we call night, it's the time of the rotation where we're on the opposite side, away from the sun. And when we've turned that direction, the sun's back there, and so we're not getting any of its light, so we're kind of in the dark because of, because of where we are, because of where we've turned. We have now moved as a planet to where uh, the, the people across from us, the other side of the globe, they're now in the sun, but because of the turn, we found ourselves facing the opposite way, and we're not getting the benefit from where we're facing directionally. We're not getting the benefit of the sunlight at night. You understand? Science class, you know? So here's the thing. But, but when our planet rotates and we're away from the sun and we're not getting its light, if the moon is in the right spot, it can still provide some light. Now, the moon could be in a number of places itself. The moon could be in a spot where the sun's hitting the moon, but the moon is not in a spot where the light's reflecting back towards us. So we can barely see a little sliver or corner of the moon, possibly. It's not any good at all. But if the moon is, is fully facing in such a way where the sun is hitting it, and the full side of the moon is facing us, and we call that a full moon, that full moon can actually provide a decent amount of light even though we're facing the opposite way of the sun. It's amazing how much a full moon can light up the night when you're walking around. Trust me, as a guy who's taking a lot of walks at night, a full moon makes a big difference from no moon. And it, it brings light to the world around us. And, and as I was thinking about that, the moon is not, the moon is not a source of light. It's not, it's not a ball of fire. It's not a, it's not a burning star, right? We know that. The moon is simply a reflection of a source of light, which is the sun. It's not as big as the sun. It simply reflects, and it sure does help in the dark. And it reminds me of something that Jesus said. 
as he was talking when he was on earth, and we're going to see this in a couple spots here. But Jesus, when he was walking on, on earth 2,000 years ago, he made a statement, and John records it in John chapter 8 and verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because, because you will have the light that leads to life. And so, interestingly, Jesus is making a comparison, as people understood light, and he's referring to the fact that he was spiritually a light, just like he, as God himself, created the physical lights that we enjoy, the sun by day, moon and stars at night, you know, as we have the lights that we see around us, but, but, and as we have artificial light that we've created through technology and advancements of, of human knowledge, Jesus is saying, just like you can think of light physically, spiritually, he said, I am a light to the world spiritually. Like, I am the light to your soul, to everything. He's, he, I am light. And we say that all the time. God is love, and God is life, and God is light. And he is the light of the world. Very interesting. He says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. You'll have the light that leads to life. And that's interesting until you think of something else that Jesus said elsewhere in his famous, Matthew records it in his famous, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Although I really think that Jesus probably preached this sermon many places where he traveled because they didn't have podcasts and YouTube, so he probably brought the same message everywhere he went. But it's recorded in Matthew, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in that place, Jesus says this statement in, in Matthew 5 and verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Well, wait a minute, I thought he was the light of the world. That's what he said elsewhere. He's the light of the world. How, is, how am I the light of the world? How are we the light of the world if he's the light of the world? Are we like all like different suns, you know, kind of glowing? It's like, there's God and there's me. You know, we're both the sun. Is that what he means? We're the light of the world or is he? Which is it? Is it both? Well, he's making a spiritual illustration about being, again, not physical light. I'm not that bright. Maybe I am. I don't know. But my forehead's bright when the sun hits. I don't know. But, well, but he's referring to spiritual light. You are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Then he explains it further in verse 15. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In other words, his point is, if someone lights a lamp, that light is there to illuminate the darkness. You don't light a lamp or turn on a lamp in our day and age and then cover it so it is hidden. That's, why'd you turn it on then? The reason it's on is so that it could be positioned in such a spot that when it's positioned where you place it, it puts light where there's darkness that you're trying to see. And so the lamp, once you light it, it's all about its position to provide the light and not to hide the light. And he goes on to say this in verse 16, in the same way, you think an illustration from physical light to spiritual light. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So, he's saying we're like a light. And again, it, it, positioned in such a way that we actually can make a difference in the dark. Back to the moon illustration I said earlier. Just like the moon at nighttime, the moon can be more or less effective at night, depending on how it's positioned. If the moon's positioned in the wrong way, it's got the sun hitting it, but it's not reflecting back to us. But if the moon's positioned in a way that we call a full moon, it's positioned in a spot to give maximum reflective light to where we are. And Jesus said, look, that's the kind of light you're supposed to be. Positioned in such a way that as we follow Jesus, as we believe on him, his light in our life is reflecting into the world at maximum effectiveness, right? Maximum impact. 
because we're in such a spot to do so. Now, one more passage, and then I'll get to where I'm going today. John chapter 1, John begins his letter by talking about Jesus from the beginning, who was eternal, the Trinity, in the beginning of creation, refers to Jesus as the Word. John 1 verse 4, the Word, or Jesus, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light, spiritual light, brought light to everyone. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Okay? And then he makes a transition here in verse 6. He says, God sent a man named John the Baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Now, don't confuse the two Johns here. Uh, the John who's writing this letter is, we call him John the Beloved. He was a disciple of Jesus who wrote the life of Jesus. That's John the Beloved. And then this other one's John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist as he's known, uh, different Johns. And John, this John says about the other John that God sent this John to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of, his te- because of John's testimony. He goes on to say, verse 8, this is important here. He says, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Now, isn't that interesting? I thought in Matthew it said that we all are the light of the world. He's the light, but we're the light. So how, if we're the light of the world, that that includes John too, how can you say John is not the light? I'm confused. There's all these confusing verses here. Who's light and who's not light, right? But what he's saying is John was not the source of the light, but was a witness to tell about the light. Now, check it out here, verse number nine. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So in other words, and this is the beautiful, this is where the sun and the moon make sense. That the sun is a true source of light. It's a big ball, star, ball a fire star that's just huge and it's light. And the moon is not a true light, is it? The moon is simply something that if it's in the right position can reflect light, but it's not a source of light. It's just a reflection of the true light which is the sun. And in the same way, Jesus is the light. We're the light of the world, not the true light. John was not the light. We're not the light. But we are the light when we reflect his light because he's the true light. It all makes sense now? Like, we're like, what he's saying is, you are, for Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. But he's the true light. So the light that we have comes from him and it comes from him to us and it can be a light to other people around us as it comes from him into us and comes through us towards other people. So here's the, here's the scriptural idea behind this. That Jesus is the light, that light is needed in the darkness very badly, and that we do not provide the light as people. We are simply called to reflect his light into the darkness around us. In other words, we could basically say it this way, we are called to be the moon. We're called to be the moon. We're called to be people who are in such a way that just like on our planet, when people have found themselves turned away from the light of God, they've never seen God's light, they've never opened their eyes to see it, or they've walked away from it. For whatever reason, they're in the dark. Like we've been in the dark before. And God's light shined on us and, and called us to him, right? If you're a Jesus follower, at some point God's light awakened your life and brought you to him. And for people who are in the dark, they're turned in such a way, they're positioned in such a way like we are at nighttime to where they can't see, they can't see the, the sun that's there. They can't see the light of God. If we 
like the moon, would be in a position where we are not only experiencing God's light, but in a spot to give as much of it back as we can into that darkness, we can be a source of light in the darkness to people. We're called to be the moon. We're called to be a full moon. Now, depending, here's a couple thoughts about that. I want to tease this out a little bit. Depending on the position of the moon in relation to the sun, it alters the amount of light that shines in the darkness, right? So we need to be in the right position. But you know what the absolute worst position? In other words, if the moon is in a position to where it's giving us a sliver of light, it's not doing us much good. But if it's in a position to give us maximum reflection of light, that's the best position for the moon as a source of light for us. But do you know what the absolute worst position the absolute worst position for the moon to be in when it comes to providing light for us? What is the worst position that the moon could be in when it comes to providing light for us? Anybody know? It would be the worst thing the moon could do when it comes to give, providing light is to be in the way of the sun. We want, we, what do we call it when the moon moves to such a spot where it's daytime and the sun's out there, but the moon moves in the way and blocks the sun? What's the term we use for that? An eclipse, Right? When the moon eclipses the sun. Think about that. So instead of us being turned away from the sun and it's dark, but the moon is in a good spot to reflect the sun's light into our darkness, that's a good thing. But now we've turned the other way and the sun is right there, but the moon has moved between us and the sun and is now eclipsing the sun. Now we love that when that happens because it's so rare, it's kind of cool, and it doesn't last very long, so it's kind of cool. But let's be honest, if the moon just decided to kind of move around and continuously nonstop park between us and the sun, and we never had light by day or by night, that would be a pretty bad deal. That'd be a pretty big bummer. It's only cool because it's rare and it doesn't last long. But imagine if the moon just blocked the sun all the time. Say, no, I want the moon to be in a spot where when it's dark and I can't see the sun, it's giving me some sunlight reflected. But what if it just got in our way and it blocked or eclipsed the sun? That's the worst spot for the moon to be in when it comes to providing light in darkness. Now think about this. You say, how, can, how is it possible that the moon can block the sun? Just, just tease with me down this trail a little bit here. How can the moon even do that? Because you know the sun is way bigger than the moon, right? It's way bigger. How can something way bigger be blocked by something way smaller like the moon? It makes no sense, but it does, doesn't it? You know, you know how the little moon can block the view of the big sun? Do you know why that works that way? It's because the moon is closer to us, isn't it? So even though it's smaller because it's closer to us, it seems bigger, and the sun, though it's much bigger, is further away. So when the moon gets in the way, though it's smaller, it's big enough in proximity to us. In proximity to us, it's big enough to block our view of the sun while it's there. And that's how a smaller thing can block a bigger thing. If you want to tease that out spiritually, if we're called to be light or we're called to be the moon in the darkness, when we get ourselves in such a spot where we get between others and their view of God, God's light might be bigger than you and me. His light might be bigger than you and me. But when we get between others and God and we are close in proximity to them, closer than they see God for themselves because they don't see him, they're trying to look to us to see God because we call ourselves Jesus followers and we're in close proximity with them, but we have something eclipsing the view of him, it blocks the whole view. It blocks the whole view. Even though he's bigger, if we're closer to them in their view, we can block the light of the sun. And here's the crazy part. And just, again, follow, play along with me if you would. 
during an eclipse, if the moon could talk, the man on the moon, right? If the moon could talk, it might say, what do you mean I'm blocking the sun? I'm still getting the sun. During an eclipse, the moon's still getting the sun, isn't it? The other side of the moon is getting the full-on force of the sun. The moon's like, I'm getting sun. I'm getting plenty of sun. But we're over here saying, yeah, but we can't get any through you. You know what I'm saying? So the moon is like, yeah, but I can. So what's your problem? I'm fine. And that's how sometimes we are as Jesus followers. I think Christians sometimes get ourselves in a spot where we feel righteous. We're like, I can see the sun. I can see him in my life. But someone else might be being blocked by what we're doing or where we're positioning ourselves. And we're like, yeah, but that's your problem because I can see the sun. But I can be in a spot where I feel like I see it, but I'm blocking someone else from seeing it at the same time. And so that's why for the next few weeks, we're called to be the moon. For the next few weeks, we're going to discuss this idea of eclipsed. That's our sermon series for a few weeks here. So important. I'll explain why in a little bit here. Eclipse. We're going to talk together about how we sometimes block the light that we are called to reflect. We're called to be the moon. But sometimes we block the light we're called to reflect and we cause an eclipse. We're going to talk about that together. I want to give Nathan a shout out for the uh, graphic uh, work he did for us on this. But, um, but um, anyhow, this is our sermon series. Now, when I make that statement, some of you might be sitting here saying, ah, I know where you're going with this series, Arlen. I'm tracking with you. I already know what you're going to say. You're going to say that when we let sin in our lives, that sin is like blocks and causes an eclipse for other people to see Jesus because of our sin. And that's not really what I'm saying. I would illustrate sin in our lives to be something that gets between us and seeing the light of Jesus in our lives. Something that eclipses our view of God, so to speak. That's what our sin does. Our, our sin would be, a, to illustrate our sin, it would be more like if the moon, picture the moon, was in such a spot in the sky where planet Earth got between the moon and the sun and Earth was blocking the full light of the sun so the moon got nothing. That would be kind of like what sin does to us. Sin is when we let the world, when we let the world get between us and Jesus and it blocks our view of his light. That's what sin happens. That's not what I'm talking, that'd be a good sermon right there. We could do that for a whole, that'd be a good Sunday sermon. When we let the world get between us and God and block our view of his light. That'd be a great topic, wouldn't it? For us to maybe, where does that happen to us where God's light is blocked from us by the world? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when we feel that we see his light perfectly. We feel righteous. We feel like we're in the right spot. We're good. But we've moved ourselves in such a spot to where we are standing in the way of somebody else seeing his light because of our orbit and where we are. That's when we eclipse this message. We can eclipse a lot of different ways. We can eclipse the light of God. We can do it through party politics. Being people who's like, I'm a Jesus follower, and, and that's what I'm about. But, but then people who know us say, oh, good, I can, I can see Jesus in you. And they look at us, and all they hear about is our politics, our nationalism, Jesus in America, you know. And that's, that's, that's what they get the idea of, this is, this, is, um, this is your Christianity, this is what God's about. Because this, this other identity becomes so big and so important to us, that it's so loud in our lives that it eclipses, that people say that's what they're all about, that's who they're about. But it's not Jesus, it's this other issue, this other thing. It's conspiracy theories that, that we run with it. People can walk around us and they can get near us and all, all of a sudden all they hear is our conspiracy theories. And, and it's like, um, we say oh, it's about Jesus, but what they're hearing is da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have God's light in my life. Oh, you do, let me look at you. 
And all I'm seeing is apparently what God's all about is the cabal of the evil fifth column of the world coming after us or whatever. I mean, at some point, that's an eclipse where we say, well, I, I know Jesus, I know God, I see his light, but if people look to us to see God and they see these other issues glaring, those issues become blocks, they get in the way. People think that's what being a Jesus follower is about, that's the most important thing, that's primary. Well, no, it's not the most important thing, but it can come across that way. It can become an eclipse. Church polity, how churches run and how they should run, and the best denominations split over church polity. The right way to run a church, the wrong way, all that kind of divisiveness that causes church, denominations to split and churches to, to bicker. It's just so stupid. And anyone on the world who needs to see God looks at Christians fighting over church policy. They're like, that's, that's what it's all about. It's an eclipse. And the people who are fighting are like, I see the sun in my life. I see Jesus. But those issues can block someone else's view of Jesus and eclipse their view. How about our divisiveness as individuals? Our divisiveness on, on social media, on Facebook or other places, and we just, we're just divisive and we're angry and we're arrogant and we have an opinion. And no one's changing anyone's mind, by the way. But when people look at us and say, hey, I, need to, I could use some God in my life. I could use the light of God. And I know someone who calls themselves a God follower, so they look at us and they see our divisiveness, our public displays in the community or on social media, and they're like, oh, man. And those, those, that tone, that arrogance, that anger, it eclipses the message of Jesus in our lives. And all of a sudden, no one can see. And we were like, well, how can you not see? I see the God in my life. How can you not see? Because this other thing that we're all about is so big that they can't see past it to see the light. It's eclipsing. There's lots of ways this can go. Sexuality and our, the issues on that is a whole conversation. We can get all worked up about things that that are important to so many of us, and yet they can become eclipsing because they're so loud and so pounding that they, they miss the message of the prime message that someone needs. First and foremost is that God loves you, and he's right here. But we made other things our horse and our hill to die on. So I wanted to set this up today, this idea of the eclipsed and we're called to be the moon. I wanted to set this up, and I was going to go a, a certain direction with the time that we have left today. But after wrestling through it at length, I decided it would be best instead to take the rest of our time here this morning and maybe help us understand where we're going to be going. The next few weeks, we're going to get into our lives personally. Today, I want to take the rest of our time and not talk about anything that is affecting almost any of us anymore. I want to tell you my story. Can I tell you my story? And my story can illustrate what we're doing going forward in practical ways that affect you and me today. But my faith journey from some perspective, I was raised in church, which is great, uh, raised around the scriptures and so many good things. But I was also was raised, I was raised in a very distinct church culture, or can I use the word flavor? I was raised in a very distinct flavor of church culture, okay, the kind of church I was raised in. That um, every church has denominational names and labels, and sometimes names and sub-labels, you know. We had lots of labels, you know. We had like the, we were Baptists. We were not just Baptists. We were independent Baptists. We were, not independent, we were independent fundamental Baptists, you know. I mean, you could, our sign could have like 18 adjectives to describe who we were, you know. Independent, uh, fundamental, KJV, so on, da 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 Baptist Church. And so we had all these adjectives. And basically we were independent fundamental Baptist churches, or IFB, independent fundamental Baptist churches. It was kind of our church flavor I was raised in. 
okay? And every church has got its own weird things. I grew up with kids who were raised in the Mennonite or Holiness Wesleyan churches where they were, you know, you know, they had some particular strange cultural customs, like the girls could not wear jewelry or makeup or had to have their hair in a bun or whatever. I've seen, you know, you've seen some of those things too. In independent fundamental Baptist world, our weird spots were a few things. For example, we had this idea that girls were not allowed to wear pants. They had to wear skirts or dresses only, or it was a sin. In fact, some people would say it was an abomination to wear a pair of pants for a girl. I mean, that was kind of the background of, of some of our backgrounds where we came from. Um, music had to be very, you know, you can have piano because at one time piano was controversial, but that was before my time, so now that's okay. But, you know, no guitars or drums, you know, certain kind of music, you know, certain translation of the Bible in the English language, old-fashioned. It had to be certain kinds of how you run church structure and polity. We had our own few quirky things that made our churches independent fundamental Baptist churches. And that's how I was raised. And I want to say this, um, that church movement had its good points, and had its bad points, just like every church movement has its good points and bad points because movements are not, you know, we get off point from God, don't we? And there were many sincere people in it. And I want to make this, I'm going to say something that I hope you can grasp. It's so, it's, I'm afraid it's going to, but just try to think with me. There were many sincere people in that movement who just, there were those who were not sincere. They, they really were misinterpreting God's word and they were about control and power and they had from racism to sexism issues going on, all sorts of things. But, but apart from the bad players, there was a lot of sincere people in that movement who were attracted to that movement because they were looking for a fight, for one, because we want to fight for something. Um, but also, they were attracted to the movement because they were sincere, but when they came to faith in Christ, this is so important to understand before we get technical here. When they came to faith in Christ, their coming to faith their, their initial experience was coming into a church like that. Or maybe in their early months or years of faith, they came into a church like that. So they equate coming to faith in Christ with that certain church culture. It kind of went together for them. So when you go to them and sit there and say, well, that church culture is not biblical or healthy, they can't divorce how they do church from their faith in Christ because their faith in Christ happened kind of coming into that scene, and so it gets married to God, or they're coming back to God if they've been a wayward. It's coming to a certain scene or certain influences or certain personalities they listen to or watch or whatever. And so their whole faith experience is mixed with a certain flavor of Christianity that they don't know how to divorce those two things from each other. And they're sincere, but they're just like, that's my faith. But it's not your faith, but it's just, if you can get that, you know what I'm talking about. If you can't get that, that's just a grace to offer people who just have married their faith with their way they express it in their church good people, and they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to make a difference, but they were building on an unhealthy platform, on a healthy base. They were building, and it was subtle, it was subtle, but it was an unhealthy base that they were building their movement on. And a lot of things were eclipsing, like those issues I mentioned earlier that were just weird. They weren't biblical, but they were very important, and to them, they were biblical. They can find a verse. By the way, you can find a verse for anything you want to beat. I just want to, I want to tell you that for today. You can find a verse for any stupid idea in the world. You can take it out of context all by itself, isolate it, and find any crazy thing. Find a word in a verse if you want to. You can find it. People do it all the time. If you don't believe me, Google it. You'll find a group of people out of billions of people that have a, found each other in a network of, of like-minded people over some weird idea. Anyhow, so I followed that path I followed that path I was raised on. When I graduated from high school, I went to Bible college, because this is another thing about our movement. Every young person who finished high school was supposed to go to Bible college and serve God full-time with their life. 
That's just how it's supposed to be. And of course, a lot of my friends, that was, they just ended up out of church because they couldn't live up to that, which is sad. But I was one of the ones that worked for me. I, I felt the calling. So I went to Bible college, and I got in the trenches, and I began to train to be a pastor. Michelle went to college with me. We, were, we, we started dating. We were in the same kind of background, same kind of upbringing, same kind of lifestyle. We began to date. We got married. I graduated. I remember when I graduated, I said, Lord, I don't want to be like some of my friends who never end up pastoring because they keep waiting for the church that never comes. So I said, Lord, if you don't open up a church that you want me to pastor within one year, I'm going to move to Billings, Montana or someplace near there and start a church in one year. But if you want me to go somewhere else, show me where you want me to go. That was my 24-year-old mind, okay, at work right there. And that, um, that um, I graduated in the end of a summer semester. And within one month's time, a church in Cedar Lake, Indiana, sends me a letter asking me to come and fill the pulpit for them for three weeks. And I'm like, Cedar Lake, Indiana? That is not Billings, Montana. That is not, that is not the Glacier National Park. That is not Yellowstone. That is, that is Northwest Indiana. But they called me to come. I had already candidated at a church in Illinois at that point. But I came to this church and I filled the pulpit for three weeks. And it just, God knit my heart to the people and their heart to me. And three weeks Later, they asked me to candidate for a week, and I did. And then I'm barely 25 now. Brett was born that week. Also, we're brand new parents with a brand new baby. I'm a 25-year-old kid, and I'm pastoring a church in Cedar Lake, Indiana. As I was raised, as I was raised to do. This is kind of, and it was, it was an independent fundamental Baptist church. That's all I ever knew. That's how we did things. Same dress standards and music styles and translation issues, all the things that made up IFB, IFB. That's how we were. Because that's how I was raised. I was just following the path that was laid out before me. However, what happened was in time, in time, I began to realize as I preached and taught God, studied God's word and led, that some of these things were not biblical. Again, there was a verse you could twist, I guess, but these weren't biblical ideas. These are just preferences that we exalted into a high place. We made our preferences into our convictions. And I knew that. And people would say, well, how come we do this or how come this is wrong? And I'd be like, it's not biblically. And I started talking to Michelle and saying, Michelle, we have a lot of things in our church background that are not biblical, but it's how we do faith and how we do church. And we kind of agreed, but here's the bottom line. I didn't want to mess it up because I knew that if I brought that up and said it, it, was, it would create a mess. <laughs> it would create a world war. And so I'm like, I was too cowardly. Call it what you want. I'm like, ah. So I decided I was just going to soften my approach. I would not preach on those preferences anymore. I would say things like, it's all about Jesus. You know, and I would just kind of dance around. But, but I let the culture exist as a pastor the same way. Those still were the way we operated and did things. And no, no one cared what I said. It was the first time in life I realized that you can think you're making a difference when you preach, but you got to put the you got to be more plain than you think you're being because people you know, no one was listening. So I tried to say the right things, but it was business as always for a long time. And I justified. I'm so ashamed of this now. I justify. I'm ashamed of a lot of things I said as a pastor because I was raised to say it. I just echoed stupid ideas. But as I began to come to the spot, I, I, I stopped saying those things, but I, I let that culture exist. And I, I justified it, the culture existing that way by saying, well, you know, it's, this will turn out better kids and a better product. By their fruits, you shall know them, as the Bible says, you know. So the problem was, at some point, that proved to be untrue. It was 20, the year was 2012, just giving you a background. 2012, and I realized finally realized clearly it was a house of cards. We weren't turning out better young people. We weren't turning out better marriages. 
We had a lot of pastoral moral failures in church leadership that were being exposed or hidden under the rug, which is worse. It was a lot of bad stuff. It was a house of cards. It was not doing better. It was not biblical and it was not better. And I realized this can't be this way. And God began to work in my life to do something different. So what happened is this. At that time, I began to, I began to seek God um, in a whole new way. So we lived in Lowell at the time, and our kids were young. Brett was 14, and the others were younger. And I began to put the kids to bed at night. It was fall of 2012. Put the kids to bed at night, and I would leave my house. Michelle was so gracious to me. She knew what I was going through. And I'd say, honey, I'm going to put the kids out. I'm going to leave. And I would leave the house. I would walk about a quarter of a mile in Lowell to where there was a subdivision being built near about a quarter of a mile from our house. All they did was they plowed these, this field down and put streets were paved throughout this whole huge field with paved streets. No houses on it yet. So it was just like walking on paved road in the middle of a field with the stars and no one around. It was beautiful. It's, you know where Cedar Creek uh, Nursing Home is now? All that stuff that's behind there, the subdivision that's back there? It was just a big field. So I would walk back through those empty streets at night under the sky, and I would just pray and cry and seek God. And it was a time of me finding God for myself, away from just the way I always had him presented to me, and saying, God, i got to figure this out. Who am I? Who are you? And during those walks, night after night after night, most nights, of the, several nights a week for months, really, I began to wrestle with the idea of resigning my church and going somewhere and starting a different church with a biblical focus and not having those weird preferences front and center that were too big in the IFB movement. I was going to resign and go somewhere else. That was my plan. But God never gave me peace about it. And never forget one night in early November, I'm walking along, and I've been praying for months now, and, and, and I was all about leaving maybe again and starting over somewhere. And it's like I heard God's voice, and I don't say that lightly because people sometimes say God told me something when they're just basically using God's, you know, how can you question that? So I don't say this lightly, but it's just what happened. I felt God in my heart say to me, hey, Arlen, you keep talking about leaving. Why don't you stay where I've put you and try leading? And I'm like, ah. And so I'm like, well, you know, and so that night, I broke down, I, I, tears, I said, Lord, if you want me to stay here and try to lead change, it's going to be very painful, but I will do it, but you have got to help me, because I don't know how to start. You've got to open up doors, and I surrendered that night, and the night, that night, everything changed. Within 24 hours, an article came to me that gave me some, a path forward. The next day, a friend, 24 hours later, another friend came in my life that I never expected. Uh, a book came my way, another person said something unexpected, and God began to open up just a path in front of me to show me a way forward. It was miraculous. It was a God thing. And for the next couple of months, I just put a plan together to go to our church and say, here's where we are. So 2013 opened up. And we used to have Sunday night church back then, because that's what churches like ours did, bless God. We had Sunday night church. And so we got to the Sunday night service, and I decided to spare the poor Sunday morning crowd, because visitors might come for those ones and scare them off. On Sunday night, I, just, I, told, I told the diehards, I said, here's what's going on. And I spent four weeks kind of laying my heart out, thinking that I might get fired or applauded or somewhere in the middle. I don't know what's going to happen, but I was ready for it all. And first week I said, look, we are supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be salt of the earth, but we're not out in the community salting anything. We're like sitting in our little holy huddle in our little salt shaker here. We're like bragging on our brand. Morton's is the best brand of salt, you know. And we're like doing nothing but sitting here praying for revival, doing nothing. I said, man, this ain't right. And everyone agrees. We get, so we, we've talked about what that looks like practically. The next week, it was bottom shelf time. 
So I came in that I said, the reason we don't do this better is because we have some oddnesses that we make us recoil and hide. We have some preferences that are not biblical that make us off balance biblically, and they are big deals. They are sacred cows. I actually brought plastic cows and put them on the, had a pulpit back then, big pulpit, put the plastic cows on the pulpit and said, these are some sacred cows that we need to kill tonight. And so we did. Anthony Curtis, who's in the back room, was in the PA booth back then, or Marty and Aaron. He actually had moving sound effects. It was funny, actually. But uh, it's another story. So anyhow, we, we, um, we had these plastic cows up there, and we talked about them. I said, the first one we said, we were going to talk about dress, dress standards. I said, we're going to, time to address the issue of dress standards. Um, you know, girls wear skirts only and the pants are wrong. And, you know, but everyone dresses up on Sunday for church and suits and ties and everything because some weird idea that that's how it used to be, even though it used to be that people wore suits and ties to play golf and to go to baseball games and church. You know, appropriate attire has changed. And now we're like, well, we have to be different than the world, even though we used to be just like them. In how we did, you know, it is a really weird logic. And so we had these formal dress standards, and girls had to wear skirts only, no pants. I said, we got to stop that nonsense. Half the ladies in our church wore pants away from church, but at church they wore their skirts. The other half wore skirts all the time. I'm like, let's just stop. That's not biblical. So we kind of just talked about that that night, killed that sacred cow. Then we talked about music policy, music preferences, you know, and sorry, just the way you like your music. Does it, you know, since my dad likes the 60s music as he was raised in it, I like the 80s music as I was raised in it. It does not make my preferences more spiritual than somebody else's. And if actually, biblically, we were way off because the Bible says, praise God on all instruments, play skillfully on all instruments. I mean, biblically, we were very wrong not to be using a full band if you're talking about the Bible. But anyhow, we got to kill that sacred cow. You know, I know the hymnals are sacred and all that stuff, but that's not biblical. We, we address the problem of King James onlyism, where people begin to not, and this is a hard one for people because if people get preferences that over get exalted and, and they can be blind to that, it's extra hard when the, their, their issue is about the Bible because that's the Bible. But it wasn't about the Bible, it's about a certain English translation of the Bible that they deified above all else and it became very, and it's, it's a whole culture. I was going to spend a whole time talking about it. I, I might spend a whole Sunday talking about that someday. It doesn't matter to most of us, but it's a good thing to think about. And then I said, we got to deal with those issues. Then in the next couple of weeks, I talked about our church schedule and structure, because we do Sunday school, Sunday, Sunday school class, then Sunday morning, then Sunday night, then Wednesday night, then, you know, you know, so many times, and all these exact schedules. And I said, that's not biblical. That's just how we have done it. I and mean, that's the bar we've set. Our structure, how we have leadership positions, who's in leadership, that's not biblical stuff. That's just our church polity. So we talked about that. And then we talked about our denominational branding. And the problem with that is that with our denominational branding, Baptist and all these other words, independent fundamental Baptist, all that did was tell everyone else in the community, if you're looking for this specific kind of church, we're the one for you. But everyone else is like, that's just weird. So we're like, we're just here to be here for the community, not for a niche group of people looking for the right kind of church. Those people don't need me anyhow. They already have it all figured out. You know, people who ever know what they're looking for have it all figured out. But we're not helping the community by being a niche-focused brand. We just got to be here for our community. So we got to break free from that. And we laid it all out there. And it was an interesting ride. And I wasn't executed that night, as you can see. I'm still here. Um, I wasn't fired. But there was some applause at first. But in the time, it began to be painful. We had people, some people left the church. Not right away. 
Some left over the next year. Some left and threw hand grenades behind them to make sure they took as many people out as they could. They, Christians who call themselves Jesus followers can be so rotten sometimes. And it's, it's not, it's not, if you ever see that, don't blame God for that. That's not, how, that's not who Jesus was. But people who call him their Lord sometimes are real jerks. And it was an ugly season of, of accusations and lies and just anger. And we worked through a hard year. It was, it was the 2014 before it got much better. But I had some hard conversations. And I remember a lady came to me, a sincere lady, a lady who was with us on this journey. And she, she, she looked at the dress standards issue and she wore pants during the week. But because it was kind of the church thing, she always wore a, a skirt on Sunday. It wasn't some kind of long, huge skirt. It was like knee length. And, you know, she, she dressed attractively. She wore makeup and her hair nice. But, but, but she liked to dress that way on Sunday. And she said, Pastor, I'm just having a hard time because... It just feels like that's how you're supposed to do it at church. And I, to see that change is just, I just, it's hard for me. And, and why, are we, why should we do that? I said, well, it's not biblical. She said, I know, but I just like it. And so I said to her, I gave her an illustration that I'll give to you. I said to her, listen, pretend that you moved to a different town. You moved away from here to some other town or state. And you went to that town and found four or five churches in that town. And you visited them all to find a church that you can go to when you move to that town. I said, supposing that the church you thought was the best church, best teaching, best communicating, it was the best church. But the thing about that church that you liked best was all the women in that church wore dresses to their ankles and real baggy. There no makeup, hair always in a bun, no jewelry. What if that's how all the women dressed? but it was the best church other than that that you went to. I said, what would you do? You'd have three options, I told her. You could either say, I'm going to find a different church and go to somewhere else, or you can go to that church and just dress the way you dress and stand, stand out like a sore thumb in that church. Or you can change your wardrobe to fit in with the ladies of that church and begin to put your hair in a bun, take your makeup off, and, do, and fit in. Which of those paths would you take? She says, well, I wouldn't stand out like a sore thumb because I wouldn't be courageous enough to do that. And I wouldn't want to change my dress code to be that. So I'd probably just find a different church. I said, exactly. What do you think it's like when you feel comfortable always wearing dresses at church? All everyone does. And somebody walks in and they're not because it's not a big deal. It's not a biblical issue. And they stand out like a sore thumb. They're either going to go somewhere else to church or they're going to change to conform or they're going to stand out like a sore thumb. And she said, I get it. And it clicked for her. But it was a hard year. It was a painful year. I'm going to be very honest with you. It was a tough season of life for Lighthouse Church and for me personally. I, we had family that we loved. Some family seemed to be understanding. Other family, they were unkind, but they distanced themselves from us. We have family to this day that the closeness has been jeopardized because they just can't get over that. We're doing church the wrong way. They just can't get past it. And it's just, it's just, it's just there. It's, it's, it's the elephant in the room, and it's just it's sad. It breaks my heart. Paid a price with family, paid a price. We had church attenders that I pastored that I loved dearly who walked away, and some of them didn't do it happily, and some of them we've built a semi-bridge to them, but others, they will not, they'll probably, until I get to heaven someday, God will make things right. But I just, it, my heart grieves for the attenders that didn't, didn't do well over the next year or so. Sometimes just because others got them worked up. And then... You know, it was just tough. I had my alma mater kind of drop me. My pastor friends, they have pastor friends I'd call. I started calling a pastor friend saying, hey, I could use coffee. I'm having a tough time. And the guys in that circle wouldn't even call me back for coffee, ignored me. I just I got gossiped about, just dropped by my, my friends and my peers and my alma mater. It just became a lonely, lonely season of life. But it also was a season that opened the door for our church to finally recenter itself 
on what really matters and not these eclipsing issues that were bigger than they should have been. I remember a man in our church who was in a position of leadership and he eventually just left. But he said to me one day, kind of upset, he said to me, he says, you realize you're no longer an independent fundamental Baptist. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're an independent Baptist, but you're no longer an independent fundamental. You're not a fundamental anymore. And I said, okay, first of all, good, because I want to be non-denominational so you can have all those labels, take them with you. I don't want them. I said, but here's my question to you. I'm fine with that. But why are you telling me why am I not a fundamental anymore? What's, what's the reason? He said, well, because, you know, you've uh, changed the dress standards and you've changed music preferences and, you know, you know, all these other things he brought up. And I'm like, interesting. I said, you know what's interesting about that? And I don't care. You can have the term. So what's interesting to me about that is that the idea of fundamentalism as a term in Christianity in America started 100 years ago. And it was the idea that the fundamentals were the deity of Christ, that salvation was by grace through faith alone plus nothing, that the Bible is the word of God, that Jesus is coming back one day. It was a few basic things were the fundamentals that were stood for in those days. And now you're telling me, even though that we both believe those same truths, we both believe those truths, now you're telling me I'm not fundamental because now fundamental means dress standards and music style? I said, I don't care. You have the term, but I'm here to tell you something, sir. You've changed what fundamental means. And it was a wild ride for us because what he was saying was they've eclipsed. Those issues eclipsed. If you were to ask somebody in that movement, they'd say, well, of course, it's about Jesus, and Jesus is the Son of God. But they hammered those things. They preached about those things. They broke fellowship over those things. They divided with each other over those things. They looked down at people. They were angry about those things. Those are issues that became eclipsing to people who would say, oh, I see the sun. It's hitting me. But those things are so big that people who looked at them to find Jesus would see these issues bigger than the message of Jesus. They were eclipses. You see. And so we decided the problem is this. And here, let me say this to all of us. The problem is that it's hard to see our issues when we are in them. It's easy for you to hear a story like that and say, well, you do the right thing, good thing. Most of us have never had to have our entire fabric of how we do God upheavaled. We had people come to our church in the next couple of years who liked where we were moving towards and they liked where we were at that moment, but they realized after a while that we were on a journey where we were not going to be locked into any traditions at all. We were still figuring out who we were and they came and went because they had their own little bubble of this is how my God experience is. And it's hard to see your issues when you're in them. Until you've had to feel untethered and figure out what really matters, it's hard to know. Because we're comfortable where we are, aren't we? We get comfortable where we are. We can still see the sun, even if I'm inadvertently or blatantly blocking you from seeing it. I'm still fine. That's your problem, not mine. Right? So at Lighthouse, we decided to never again let anything in our church become an eclipsing issue. Look, we have our beliefs about everything. We all do. But we are also careful to make sure that these are not eclipsing issues to our community so that when they look to us to find God, instead of reflecting his love that they need to know, they're seeing these other things that are what our identity is all about that block the main message. We've decided we'll never again let other things become an issue. We're going to fight hard for that. A couple years back, we made a, a new vision statement for our church. And we, we explained it carefully at the time. We said, our vision is this. For far too long, the church has been known for what it's against. 
We want to be known for what we're for. We're all, listen, we're all against things and we're all for things. But for far too long, the church has been known for what it's against. And we want to be known for what we're for. And we are for Cedar Lake because we're in Cedar Lake. We are for people because God is for people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's my story. For the next few weeks, we're going to discuss some areas. We're not going to discuss those anymore. We're done with that. That was just a backflash into why this is important. For the next few weeks, we're going to discuss some areas that hit home to you and me today where we are. Areas of our lives that might be eclipses, where we feel righteous about where we are, but we have these issues that are accidentally blocking someone else's view of God's love. And I'll be honest with you, it might be a little surgical, okay? But we're going to talk about that. We're going to have our sermon series is going to be called Eclipsed. Eclipsed, how we block the light that we are called to reflect Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, whether you're online, thank you for joining us online, whether you're in person at either of our services. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do for the next few weeks. First of all, let's, let's, let's be here. I'm just going to pour out my heart to you. I, I want to, This is about you as an individual, which affects us as a church because the church is full of individuals, right? People's impression of the church is what their impression of you if you attend the church and they know you attend the church. So you as an individual, it's about you, and in a way it's about us. And I also want to talk about some things that will help all of us, each of us individually, not be guilty of eclipsing more important issues, but helping us be the light God called us to be or to let his light through to a world that needs to see it. I'm going to ask you to be here for the next few weeks, online or in person. And I'm going to ask you, I want you to be as honest, I want you to be as honest and open to God's spirit as I had to be a few years ago through that painful process. I want to ask you to be as open to God's spirit in your life and as honest as we had to be to do, because it may cause some discomfort. It may cause some sacrifice. You might agree with a lot of what we say, but something might say, well, it's a trigger for me. Just be open to God's spirit as God works in our life. Because you, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now, he's the true light. He's the sun. But when people are lost in darkness, if we're in a position where we can sh let God's light reflect off of us and into their world, we can bring light. But if we, if we do this wrong, we'll get in the way. We'll get in front of the sun and we'll block any light they could have apart from us. And I don't want to do that. I, wanna, I want to let, let's reflect his light, not eclipse it. Let's be in the right position for each other. Because we, we are called to be the moon. And I hope that as we walk forward today, those of you who've experienced the love of God and the grace of God and you follow him, you've seen his light. Let's not block it for anybody else accidentally while feeling righteous. Let's make sure we're in a position to shine what matters most, the message that matters most to people who need to know that there's a God who died for them. He loves them so much. He's for them. Let's be the moon.